You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Joining me now on this episode of Lockdown Cavs is Jackson Frank. Jackson, if you don't know, is a writer for places like The Step Back, The Athletic, uh, went to Gonzaga. Jackson, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. Just, just hanging out. Uh, ready for some basketball to happen again in a few weeks. Ready for the draft in a couple days. And, or three days, I should say. But uh, just ready for more basketball. It's been what, four days or whatever. <laughs> that real, real noteworthy uh, stuff. Well, we went, we went like what, like 72 hours, not even <laughs> until it was like the, the Raptors won and then Anthony Davis got traded. So like it, it, yeah. it never stops. Like we're going to get like two weeks in August and then it's just going to be chaos all over again. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how it goes. It's just, you know, the cycle never, never, uh, never stops. Just rolls over the next season and goes from there. Yeah. So what Jackson are going to talk about today is a really state of the Cavs kind of thing. I wanted to get someone who maybe isn't, um, is and my unfortunate soul that has to spend a lot of time thinking about it about a team that had Marquise Chris on the roster last year but Jackson I want to know when, when you look at what the Cavs are what kind of season they're coming off the the new coach in in place and everything like that where do you make of what do you make of the Cavs right now where are they at they were 30th in ESPN's projections for next season which I didn't get used to early to, to do some of that stuff but that is what it is but what do you make of just where this franchise is at as we head into the draft and then head into the offseason in full in full stop yeah I mean they're just in a very a very tough spot you know they uh, obviously they kind of burdened a lot of not LeBron's not the negative parts of LeBron, but I guess some of the stuff he preferred when he was a uh, big superstar there. And um, so I think I've liked a lot of the moves they've they've made in re- or at least last year. I think they offloaded a lot of their veterans to just at least acquire some type of draft capital. Um, obviously, you're more in tune with that than me, but just from a peripheral lens, it seemed like they did a pretty good job. If they had a veteran who could maybe play for a contender or playoff team, they got a second round pick back for it or some cash or something. Um, so I've liked some of the marginal moves, but now um, I think obviously this this year's draft will be fairly important. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the Sexton pick last year, but I think he did some some impressive things this year, especially kind of past past the new year. I think he improved there. Um, and it's far too early to rule him out be, rule him out being from being a good good uh, good star, good player long term. Um, so yeah, I mean they're just not someone I followed a ton. I watched. Can't say I watched more than 15, 20 games of, of them last year. One game I watched late in the year and against the Pistons, and uh, the only thing I really remember is Marquis Marquis Chris airball a dunk. Um, yeah, I, I uh, that, <laughs> that was kind I, of an infamous play. Yeah, for me the Marquis Chris experience, like he was like a very nice guy when I got to talk to him. Like he seems just like a very relaxed human being. But um, the Marquis Chris, like just watching him set screens, was just like a, a roller coaster because he just doesn't <laughs> set screens like. Uh, uh, I think that in the mist, the the mist layup was just incredible. Like all everything Marquis Chris does is like sort of like high performance art because he would have like three minutes where you're like, oh, <laughs> like he understands what's going on. But then you're like, all oh, right, he's he's Marquis Chris and he's 21 and everything. But um, and I just like wonder what he's like. I have no read on like what should happen to him. Like he's young enough where like some team could be like, sure, I'll pay him two million dollars or whatever to take a flyer on him. But like 
there's no track record of that and like i don't want to go down a marcus yeah. rabbit hole but like that's like it's like, <laughs> i'm like looking at the cap sheet uh, right now and it's just like all right they have a four million dollar cap hold for marcus chris that we'll have to see what they do with at some point yeah no i, I think it was, that game was maybe like a saturday or sunday and i was like yeah, i like it i'm not doing anything let's watch let's watch this pistons uh Cavs games and then that happened and i was like oh okay now i remember why i haven't watched many <laughs> many Cavs games this year outside of uh trying to track sexton um but yeah, he's he's just someone who I I just I just don't think really the NBA is for him. I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, I hate to say that for a guy who can just can now legally drink, but um, just hasn't really shown a lot. And you know, there's not not a lot of better spots than a team who's not really trying to win and giving you a, lot, a long leash. And uh, yeah, he's he's one of the more disappointing draft draft busts in recent recent years. Okay, so what do you what when you look at this Cavs roster and you look at Sexton? I want to specifically look at Sexton, Jetty Osman, Ante Zizic. Uh, you could maybe lump Larry Nance Jr. in there, and Kevin loves his own sort of thing. But when you look at the guys that are like twenty six and under that they have right now, what do you actually like about the young guys? Because I think they they clearly do not have the the lead guy. They don't have the guy that that will be the best player in this team in theory when this team is is good again or is actually contending for the playoffs again. I don't think unless Colin Sexton makes a big leap or something like that. But what what do you make of the young guys they actually have right now before we even look ahead to who they might take on Thursday? Yeah, um, though I think the biggest thing I was impressed with this year with Sexton uh, was the way he was able to apply his speed and athleticism uh, to, to making impactful plays. You know, coming out of Alabama, I watched – you know, a number of games and I would, I would just kind of come away and be like, like what's, what's his NBA skill. And it, there wasn't, I couldn't give you a great answer, but I think we've found out that he does apply that, that athleticism, that quick burst, that speed in the half court and in transition to be impactful. And that's something that really impressed me this year. Long ways to go defensively. Um, and as a decision maker, but, uh, he definitely did some impressive things in terms of shot making and, um, you know, he's, he's probably not a guy you want running your offense. And I think that you, you have to realize that that's the role he was playing for most of the year. And so, um, it's going to take some time for him there. And then, uh, yeah, Chetty Osman is a guy I think had a fair amount of hype, you know, for, I think, um, well, he, I, he I will was, say if you were on Twitter and like you watched Cavs Twitter talk about Jetty Osman, you thought like it was Luka Doncic, Turkish Luka Doncic. <laughs> but to be fair, yeah. like, we gassed, we gassed him up a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, he was someone who I thought did some some nice things offensively throughout the year. Um, hit hit some pretty impressive threes, off movement, spotting up. Um, is a fairly good passer for a size. I'd say he's above average for a wing. Um, but whenever I watched, I was just the defense to me. To me, was just something that was really disappointing. Um, I don't know if that's how Cavs fans felt and other people who watched the the Cavs on a regular basis, but I just came away pretty disappointed um, from a guy who when he was kind of stuck on the bench when LeBron was still there in his final season was kind of billed. Maybe this guy who could hit threes and defend multiple positions. Um, and obviously his, his responsibilities went up, uh, this year. I mean, averaged 13 points, took 12 shots or 11 shots, excuse me, uh, a game. And so maybe that played a part in the defense, uh, not being up to par, but it was just something where I was like, I just need a lot more from a guy who's not a special shooter, not a special playmaker. Um, but I do think he's an NBA player. I do think he's an NBA wing. Um, and then obviously Larry Nance was someone who took a pretty, pretty nice leap forward in his first full year with the Cavs. Um, really impressed with his passing, his defensive versatility. Um, someone who's clearly projects as a rotation big on a good team. Um, maybe a little bigger role than you'd like this year in, in Cleveland. Um, 
but someone can give you 18, 20 minutes a night on a playoff team and uh, create a little bit off the short roll, average three and a half or three assists this year, steal and a half. So pretty active in the passing lines, can switch a little bit. Um, so I think it's one of those things where they've got a nice young core, but like you said, they probably even a first and second option because I think Sexton probably kind of caps out offensively as a third option on a good team, on a really good team, which is when I get back to. Um, but I don't think that I don't think they their outlook is as bad as maybe people thought a year ago or uh, a lot of months ago or something. Yeah, so my my thing with Jetty is, and I I don't have like a, a stat that really backs this up with him because his defensive RPM is like one of the worst among small forwards in the league. But like when you watch, I was going back and doing some film study on him um, from last season, and you find a lot of games where he's guarding like Laurie Markkinen or he's guarding Paul Millsap or he's guarding some four who's way too big for him, and he's really thin. Um, I don't know if this translates like when you like see him on league pass or whatever, but he's kind of skinny. And, like, I think, like, he'll be able to defend the multiple positions, but I think for him to, like, unlock that in a way that makes sense on, against teams in particular that have, you know, bigger wings or bigger threes, um, you know, he he can defend probably one, twos, and threes. I think four is, like, a reach for him. And I, th- I, I don't, like, believe that there is a way to do this. Some, if someone out there can tell me how to do this and, like, search this, like, the numbers on this, I would be super appreciative. But, like, I would love to see, like, what his... Like, when David Nawaba was healthy and playing, not even just, like, them on the court together, because um, you can obviously look at that defensive rating, but just how it compare, like how the team's defensive rating looks um, in all these various games. Like, I maybe just don't want to spend the time to do this because they were so bad last year and it doesn't, the Wobble on the team or whatever, but it's just, like, I don't think, I feel like I know what Jetty actually is on the end because, like, I had to watch him defend Laurie Markkinen for a ton of positions. And there's just, like, no, even if he tries really hard and puts an effort He's just at such a disadvantage in those matchups that it just, like, that has to be, A, physically tough on him, and B, just, like, that's not going to help him in any way. Or, God, that's not going to help us get a good read on, like, when he might be defending, like, DeJounte Murray or, like, if he's, you know, they're playing the Pacers if he's defending Oladipo or something like that. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things where you have to ask with every young guy is, is it is it worth him putting on weight or do you believe he can put on that extra weight to maybe guard some fours without sacrificing his mobility and fluidity because he does move pretty well for a wing at his size at six eight. Like he moves well off the ball, he can dribble, he can handle the ball, he can attack a little bit off the dribble. Um, and so you you kind of worry, you wonder if he adds on fifteen pounds, is he still going to have that same mobility for a wing? Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like your your sample is way bigger than mine with with him. Um, but I was just I was just kind of disappointed in his perimeter no, defense. No, I, I because don't think was, you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong on that. Yeah, no, but yeah, I, I guess for me, I, I maybe I watched some games where he was guarding some wings uh, rather than four men. Um, but I guess maybe I ha- maybe maybe it's for me trying to balance. I thought he was a, a kind of a solid defensive prospect in the year prior, and so um, maybe I was holding too high of a standard. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think he's got a future here, and or uh, just in in the NBA is maybe a long term starter somewhere. Um, I remember I don't know if it was a preseason game or. a one of the first games there, I think it was against the Raptors. I was watching, uh, watching it back, uh, and he just like one of these plays. He just made like a brilliant play, like in transition. He like threw like some wicked spin on the ball and like wrapped it around the defender and uh, for a pass. And I remember just like just like watching that play and uh, kind of being amazed by it. By it, and I so I just one of those things where it, it sticks with you and um, kind of makes it hard to give up on a guy when he's fairly young and can make a play like that where he's like off a live dribble like spinning the ball like it's a curveball or a slider or something to wrap it around the defender and find a shooter um 
think he's a fun player. I'm definitely excited to kind of see if he can improve his efficiency and um, even his playmaking a little bit. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it's kind of an interesting question of what's kind of his best defensive position because uh, you hope it's the wing, but is he quite quick enough to guard some of those guys long-term or quite strong enough? But he is very skinny, like you said. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I will say I think you're right about is like the effort for him defensively um, could be a little bit shaky, could be a little bit iffy. And I don't know like how much we can attribute that to like them being really bad or whatever. Um, I also think like offensively, he should really benefit more than I think. I think more than any of the young guys from B-Line system, I think his passing ability is something we did not really see a lot of last year, frankly. Um, that spin on the ball, that vision you're kind of hitting on. I think that should come alive in B-Line system. Before we kind of wrap up this first segment here, just what are your thoughts on B-Line? Um, it's, it's an, I think it caught a lot of us off guard. Uh, I've talked about it a bunch. Of, what, what's just your take on the Cavs going with B-Line as opposed to one of the, the assistants maybe we expected them to go and get? Yeah, I think it's it's probably worth the gamble. He's been a guy who's linked to, been linked to the NBA for a few years now. Um, really good success at Michigan. Uh has turned a lot of kind of fringe recruits into NBA players. And um, I think it was worth the gamble. He's done a really good job offensively. Um, you know, watching Michigan games, Michigan games the last few years, just impressed with some of the sets he runs to get got, get shooters open. Uh, I mean, he's got three three NBA prospects this year. Um, obviously, Charles Matthews going down with a torn ACL pretty much negates any chance he gets drafted. But, um, and then a fourth guy in John Teske who's going back who should get drafted next year. Um so I just I think it was it's, he seems like the kind of guy who was able to maximize the talent he has, and I think on a team like the Cavs who isn't stockpiled with these kind of blue chip uh, draft picks or, or young stars, it's, it's kind of worth it to see see what they can do. And he does seem to do really well with his offensive scheme in terms of freeing shooters open and and uh, maximizing maximizing capabilities, whether that be as a passer, as a shooter, as a, as a driver, things like that. So it'll definitely be kind of interesting to see how that that translate, translates from Michigan to a team who doesn't hold a significant advantage over most of their opponents night to night with, with Cleveland. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with more of Jackson Frank. Uh, if you haven't already, go check out the Locked On NBA Mock Draft. The Locked On NBA Mock Draft is underway. The local experts, including yours truly, are in there and are running our draft rooms. We're making trades. Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated is making the player breakdowns. You have Josh Lloyd with the fantasy basketball breakdowns. Brendan Cleans is offering some analysis as well with David Locke. It's all on Locked on NBA, and you can get that wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and the new Himalaya Podcast app. So we'll be right back with more from Jackson Franken and actually talk a little bit about the draft. All right, we're back, Jackson Frank. Jackson, I would I don't think anyone like loves this draft class, and I don't think like this is the draft class that makes the Cavs' future one way or the other. But for and you, for you, when you look at them like actually earnestly, maybe re- getting some draft capital, actually earnestly rebuilding, rebuilding more so this year, as opposed to like saying we're going to make the playoffs or whatever like they did last year. How important do you think it is for them to actually do this particular draft well? Regardless of like them, you know, obviously probably not getting a star player out of this draft or the future cornerstone Zion type player or whatever. But what do you? How important do you think it is that they actually do something intelligent and, and coherent on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you touched on it earlier. They don't have their kind of their alpha alpha guy, and I don't think they're going to get one in this draft. Um, you know, I think there's about I think the only three guys who have a chance of being that are RJ, John, and Zion, and all three of them are going to go higher than five for the Cavs. Um, but I do think they can find a guy who once once they do land their their type A guy, that in this draft they could find kind of a complimentary piece 
Um, so, and I think those are the type of guys who are really important. Um, you saw this year a team like Toronto. Um, obviously, they didn't build up through the draft really, but um, just had some really nice complimentary pieces around Kawhi. And um, so, I think it's it's important to find one of those guys who can be a high level role player and a consistent starter. Maybe uh, you know whether that be a, a guy like Darius Garland or Kobe White or Jared Culver. Um, but just I, I do think obviously every draft is important, especially for a team like the Cavs who doesn't already have who don't already have like four or five. Uh, you know, blue chip talents on the roster. Um, it's it's kind of important. This is their first their first real draft. I mean, obviously last year they had the the Nets pick, but they were coming off a, a finals appearance. So um, I think at this point you kind of have to, as an organization, you have to have a clear vision of what type of style you want to play on both ends of the ball. And I think you'll probably see that reflected. And um, you know, you ideally Beeline's really influencing that. So um, I think it's important. I think. Uh, it's a good, it's kind of a their first launching point uh, in this rebuild, even though last year was a was a tough year. So I I think this draft isn't again like we've both said this. I think anyone who's following this draft sort of knows. I don't think this draft is the draft for like they're they're getting the guy unless like Jared Culver like blossoms in a way that maybe like like is the the one percent chance of it happening. Like maybe that happens, right? But that's not mm-hmm. something you can bank on. For me, I think that this is, that just has to be a logical continuation of what we saw Kobe Altman sort of do last year. It was, you know, acquiring more assets. It was setting them up to have multiple chances of getting guys to be to have the ability to, you know, maybe next year go up and trade and get a guy to do whatever they need to do in in that capacity. When I think about this draft, if they were to come away with, and like, I don't think they should draft for like fit necessarily. I think there are guys I don't like how they fit. But I feel like I just need to see them if they're going to make this year work, if they're going to take some kind of step forward this year and maybe still be a, a lottery team next year, but maybe not one of the three worst teams in the league. I need to just feel like there is a vision for what's going on. And I think Beeline obviously is going to come in and he's not going to really change what he does that much. I would imagine there will be some adjustment and the personnel is going to dictate that a little bit, I would imagine. But he comes in with the system, and you don't hire John Beeline if he's not going to do what John Beeline does. That would be weird to me if they like, like John Beeline comes in and starts running like ISO heavy sets, right? Like that would that would be really weird. I feel like they just have to get guys that sort of fit that. And there are guys that when I watch the tape on them, and I admittedly don't get to watch a ton of college basketball in real time because I just don't have the time. There are guys that just scream to me like, and I watch look at their numbers, look at their high school tape or whatever, that scream to me as guys that like don't fit that. And, if, and there are just also clear needs on this Cavs team. Um, I think it's secondary creation. I think it's defense. I think it's shooting. Those are like things you can, if you can get those in this draft, this maybe at 26 or if they move up or something, I just feel like those are just things you should prioritize more than anything else. And I feel like those are the things you actually need to be foundational, even if they're not perfect players, even if it isn't the highest upside. Those things just make so much sense to me. But I, I just don't feel like we have a good read exactly on like what they're thinking. Like we, we like the ESPN mock, which is you know historically very accurate to what teams are thinking, hasn't taken Darius Garland right now, and that to me is just is that to me either screams they love Garland and want to try to have him in Sexton work, which seems odd to me, or that they're just trying to like pump up puff off the value of that pick to have someone trade up and get Garland. Yeah, I mean I. I think uh, the ESPN did that kind of that mock draft just based off preference last last week with Bobby Marks and uh, Woj and, and Mike Schmitz, but and they had him taken there. I don't, I don't like I don't think it's a terrible fit, but I I think it's one of the least good fits they could be. Two undersized guards who aren't primary playmakers. 
Um, but I, yeah, I just think they're in a spot where you, you need to take probably a wing, um, a wing or a, a front court player. I just, there isn't a lead guard in this draft that's going to fall to five. Like Jaws going to go two, maybe three if, if, if Memphis takes a gamble on, on RJ, even though he said he isn't going to work out for anyone, but the Knicks. Um, and so it's just not like, it's just not worth taking another guy like Kobe White or Darius Collins projects as an off ball guard, which is kind of what Sexton does too. You know, it seems like Sexton probably needs a, a wing, a wing initiator to, to kind of play off of long term. And uh, I think kind of te- tethering or tying yourself to two undersized guards and Garland and Sexton as your backcourt of the future kind of screams like, like, I guess long term mediocrity a little bit, just because you, you just can't, like, it's just not going to work as, as two undersized guards unless you have outrageous shot makers like. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and banking on banking on your two your two guys to develop into that is kind of uh, it's kind of fool is a fool's errand. So um, yeah, I'd go with a wing guy and like I said, I think it's just ha- about having a clear vision and and you want to go with best player player available if you think it's Garland. I get it, but at the same time, I think it's a pretty fluid tier beyond Zion or beyond the top three, I guess, because it seems pretty set in stone. And so I don't think it'd be worth it taking the marginally better player for the significantly worse fit do you like um are there any guys in particular at five in terms of a dream draft fit or even if you want to look at like guys the guys you think it's take later in the first round or if they get a second round pick or something that you actually think could sort of fit are there just any guys you think to fit what they might be trying to do um right now yeah i mean culver's culver's the guy i think that makes the most sense there um, it seems like he's been linked to the Pelicans, but it also seems like the Pelicans might trade that pick um, to a team that's interested in one of the point guards that we mentioned, Darius Garland and Kobe White. Um, so I, I think Jared Cole makes the most sense. He, you said the team needs secondary playmaking and defense and shooting. Uh, he, at worst, provides two of those things. At best, he provides all three if he can get his jump shot kind of figured out after he alters mechanics as a sophomore this year. Um, so I think he's, he's kind of their primary target. If you want to trade down, I think you can trade down maybe five or six spots and target a guy like Brandon Clark. Um, he's a guy I'm a huge fan of, and I think he just he lets you do a lot of different things defensively. And I think that's a really underrated um, kind of kind of trait in guys. You know, sometimes players kind of handicap or hamstring your defensive kind of versatility and, and flexibility. I think he does the opposite. Um, so for a team that doesn't have a lot of great defenders, a lot of great long-term pieces defensively i think he makes a lot of sense there um if you're sticking at five and culver's gone uh you know i think it's probably worth taking one of the bigs in jackson hayes or goga badatse um, i think it might be goja goja I'm, I'm whenever they pronounce it on draft day i'll finally know how it's yeah i'm gonna but... like write that one down phonetically <laughs> like i learned my lesson with Giannis. like i'm just gonna like write it down like when it happens in real time just so i just there's no chance i forget same way with uh with Jokic and yes yusuf nurkic uh yeah, those 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 three. But yeah, he's yeah. Um, but yeah, I think if if Culver's gone, then um, one of those two bigs that has some pretty interesting upside. Um, I prefer Hayes a little bit, but I think uh, Goja could be pretty interesting as well. But he seems like maybe projected to go later, so at that point, it's worth trading down. Um, so for me, it's just tough to find anyone beyond Culver that really intrigues me. I know DeAndre Hunter's been linked there a little bit, but I'm not a huge fan of his. Um, I think it makes some sense, but I just don't think there's much of an upside there and i know you don't always have to play for upside but with the fifth pick you probably want someone with a little more upside and he just doesn't really enthrall me there um 
So yeah, Cove would be my choice. If not, trade down for one of the bigs like Clark, uh, Goja, uh, or Jackson Hayes. Okay, so I want to well, wrap up this segment on this. So I like the idea of um, I like the idea of Brandon Clark. I think he makes some sense. When I look at centers, I don't know if if I'm the Cavs. If I I would almost rather just like take a wing, even if the wing is lesser of a prospect, just because they need wings. When when you look at this roster, is like you, are you just thinking in terms of okay, get the best player available. And then maybe Tristan's gone, maybe Kevin Love's gone, Ante Zizic is, is whatever. Is it just like, let's get the best player available and then just kind of worry about putting this together later? And John Henson exists too. I keep forgetting that, like, John Henson's, like, still on their books. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's got to be best player available. I just don't think there are many guys uh, that the Cavs are tied to long-term. Um, you know, I think we, we've talked, we touched on two of them in Sexton and, in Osman and beyond that, you know, maybe Larry Nance, but I also think he's a guy who could, the Cavs could probably accrue some, some long-term capital for, um, from a good team. Uh, and obviously Tristan's been, Tristan's probably a fairly underrated big nowadays, um, despite the big contract. Um, and I just think it's, it's just, you take the best player available, um, when you are pretty low on, on long-term pieces there. And, um, you know, Clark doesn't need to start right away. If you, if you have two starting bigs and love and, in Thompson, uh, it's okay if he comes off the bench and plays primarily four. Maybe play, maybe even plays some three, given his his kind of fluidity and, and lack of uh, ideal length and strength at this point. So, um, yeah, I think you got to go for best player available if it. Um, but again, if if the fit is so glaringly bad with that best player available, I think it's like I said, it's a pretty marginal difference. A lot of those guys that will be available to the Cavs that maybe you draft for fit a little, little bit, but you just don't want to go overboard in that range when you're working with such a pretty pretty empty cutboard in cleveland yeah i don't th- i don't i think that's pretty fair right, we're gonna take one last break and then come back to just look up ahead to like a five-year-ish window for this Cavs team um, but when you're driving to work or from work or around town and all you ha- all you have to do to listen to locked on Cavs and the whole locked on network is tell your smart device to play locked on Cavs, and we'll be right there with you for the drive so check that out uh today and just make your drive a little more enlightened in terms of basketball content we'll be right back with more uh with jackson frank And we're back. Okay, Jackson, last thing. Uh, Cavs, five years out. Like, I, I arbitrarily picked five years because that is the length of John Beeline's contract. He could get fired. He, things could happen. But let's just say, like, the five-year window with, with Beeline is these next five years. This is – he's 66. Like, this could theoretically be, like, his last sort of run. Um, he has said that he would like this to be his last job. I feel like the Cavs can should be trying to be very patient in this. My thing with this is I don't think they can rush this. I think – Trying to force your way into the eight seed is not great. I think you know being in the middle of the East or whatever can be, can be kind of we, we can trash that a little bit too much because it is just kind of hard to get there sometimes. But I will say like I don't think they need to rush into that. I think you know you can be picky about what you do. You can you want to build something cohesive. The Cavs have never since I've been covering the team. I think you going back to the basically since LeBron left the first time. They've never really built something organically and cohesive. This is their chance to do it. I think that, like, regardless of like what the end of this of the next five years looks like, I think they have to try to just establish a process that makes sense. So when you get to twenty twenty three, and you know the Kevin Love contract, maybe still on the team is off the books. When you when you have a clear idea of you know what Colin Sexton is like, uh, when what this year's draft picks will look like as they will be going to you know their free agency at that point and whatnot. That's when, like, I feel like we need to. We'll just start to have a better vision of all of this, and I think they just need to be as patient as you can be in a league that does kind of move very fast and and ask a lot of you to to make sense of things very quickly. 
Yeah, I know. I, I totally agree. I think being patient is, is a move here for Cleveland. Um, I think given the fact that the franchise has had a significant amount of success in recent years, they have a little more, I guess a little, little longer leash, I'd say just from a fan perspective, you know, because I think teams would appreciate kind of getting back there. You know, they're, they are a smaller market, but they're a smaller market that's tasted a lot of success. And so, you know, I, I don't think it's worth kind of rushing this rebuild and uh, trying to land a, a lower tier star or something and then capping out at the five or the six seed because right now the top of the East is really good. I mean, assuming Milwaukee retains a lot of their pieces, they look to be good long term. Um, if Kawhi comes back, that's a really good foundation, even if some of Toronto's kind of secondary pieces are, are on the older side. If Philadelphia retains their stars, they look to be pretty well set up for the for the next four or five years. And so um, I, I do think it's worth being patient. Like we said earlier, uh, they still need that kind of type A guy. You know, I just don't think anyone that they have on the roster now or are going to draft in this year's class is going to be able to be, become that guy um, right now. So I think it's worth kind of waiting to find that, that lead ball handler, um, let Sexton shift off to that secondary role eventually. Cause I think that's kind of where he'd be better. Um, kind of see what you have in Osmond on both sides of the ball, see what his best role is. Um, and because it did seem like a lot of times this year, whenever I watched, not that he was just kind of a free-for-all, but he had a lot of responsibility, a, lot, a long leash. And so um, kind of figuring out exactly what he's best at or, and who he guards best defensively is is worth doing. Um, so I, I, I agree that the long, the long the long game is the best way to approach it. Um, no need to rush into it. You won a title three years ago. Um, so I think, like I said, I, not that I always operate under the idea of what fans think, but I think that's a lot of times how, from a PR perspective, a lot of management organizations do do kind of work like that. Um, so I, I, I think the fact that you kind of have that title and those four finals appearances in your back pocket, um, you can afford to be patient and, and preach like remember how fun it was when we were making the finals and we were one of the best teams in the league all the time and we're trying to get back there we're not trying to we're not trying to become one of the teams we beat up on all the time in the second round or the first round so um yeah i don't think the Cavs are in a terrible spot by any means and i've really liked the piece the things they've done uh considering what they've been able to work with or what they've had kind of since lebron left them empty handed but not that lebron uh did anything bad to them but just you know kind of left them in a tough spot and they've done done as well about as well as they could given the circumstances yeah i mean they got a title out of it like i think like that like that parade and like that what that meant to that franchise i think means more than anything i also would say um when you look at like this roster it sneakily just like has a lot of like goodwill kind of on it like nance is a local like his son his dad obviously played for the Cavs. He's, he's kind of beloved delhi at least for as long as he's on the team is well liked um jetty kind of has a little bit of a cult following tristan so well like yeah any of kevin love and kevin's who i want to just kind of wrap this up on because He's got this big contract. He signed. It's de-escalating, um, so that you know, go up to his highest thirty-one point two in 2020, 2021, and then the following year before it dips back down to twenty-eight point nine in twenty twenty-two. It's the same year Nance has dipped down actually. So some some cap flexibility that could come from the Cavs that summer in some capacity. But he's a guy that I think he said this when TMZ got him up and met up with him in LA. He's like always going to be in trade rumors, and I get it. And I think the Cavs can't say like we will never trade Kevin Love. Um, I think if you got an overwhelming offer form, you'd really have to consider it. At the same time, I think they looked a lot more competent, and I think the, I don't think like taking all the adults out of the room is ever the smartest option. So for me, and I look at this, I don't like. I I wonder what Kevin Love is going to look like at the end of this contract. I think that that's a concern. I think again, you could trade him at the right value. 
I'm not like in a rush to do that either. I get the concerns, but Kevin Love is like really good, and I think we forget that to some degree. Even if that money is like, could be bad. Like it could be a, a huge burden on the cap at that point, and you might have to live with that, and that's tough. But I feel like Kevin Love like can help you, and I feel like that considering he is maybe limited in some ways, I think like that gets forgotten from time to time. Yeah, no, he's. I mean, the biggest, biggest issue with him is just the durability. You know, the contract is one thing, but. Um, there's just concerns, I think, from a lot of trade partners that how how much can you get out of him. But he is really good when he's playing. Like I, I was kind of bummed to see him miss so much time last year because I was hoping to see kind of his playmaking unlocked again a little bit from the elbows. You know, we've, that's been written about and talked about extensively. But um, obviously, with a couple of ball, more mostly ball dominant players and Kyrie and LeBron there, he didn't get to do that as much. Um, but it, it but it did seem like the young guys just played a lot better offensively, especially with love there. Um, I, I think beeline, I think beeline system will, will be good for love. You know, I think they can utilize his passing, utilize his shooting, um, his screening, his playmaking in general. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I think it's one of those things where you, you don't want to just trade him to get him out the door. Um, but if the right deal presents itself, obviously it's, it's worth it. Um, but a guy who is a, kind of that all-star level talent when healthy he does make things easier and um that's that's never a bad thing when you can when you can make game, the game easier on your young guys that's that's nice and uh, like you said he is really good and um you know if he stays healthy i don't think it by any means be out of the question for him to make the all-star team this year um it's just a matter of him staying healthy and obviously like you said the the contract is is kind of that elephant in the room um he's gonna be it's gonna it's an overpay it, but it doesn't mean he's not a good player by any means. Um, I think those two things can be independent of, themse- uh, of themselves, and um, I, I don't think by any means they need to be trying to just give him away for free um, because having a good a good guy, a good veteran who's been around a lot of winning teams and knows how to win uh, is valuable because there's more – There's guys need to learn how to win. It doesn't just involve being a part of teams that win. It's being around veterans who have been there and things like that. So um, – I think he, there's a lot of intangibles that he can provide, even if he's pretty big, pretty big cap hit for the Cavs. Well, and and think about like look at the roster. If you take Kevin Love out, let's say like they were to trade him on draft night for like a first this year and like a future first or something, right? So and they don't take they don't they take on maybe like a bad contract, but it's not someone that can replicate what Kevin Love can do. You go into next season and your starting five is going to look like let's say it's Colin Sexton. Um, Jared Culver, Jetty Osmond, Tristan Thompson, and Larry Nance Jr. Like, that's not good, right? Like, that is like, you're making things harder for Colin Sexton. You're making things harder for Jetty Osmond. I think if you do that, like, you're just hurting your rebuild somewhere. Like, I think, like, I'm, the Cavs need to restock assets, but I think they have other avenues to do that with these expiring contracts if they're willing to eat bad money with this J.R. Smith contract, which is kind of still hanging out there right now with like, uh, you know, about two weeks until we can, that kind of becomes a null and void kind of thing. I feel like if you just like take Kevin Love off of this, you can't replace him with something or 80% of something of what he could provide if he's healthy. I just don't like yeah, think that helps yeah. you. Like that just seems like, like I, I know like the money is tough and like we can talk about the money and the fit and, and like the, the, the numbers and everything and like how he struggles switching, but it's just like, why make it harder on yourself? I just, I just have never quite understood like why there's like the... I think we, like, and I'm guilty of this. I think NBA Twitter is always guilty of this. I think, like, we can fetishize assets to a degree that's, like, probably not always the most coherent way to talk about this. 
Yeah, and I, I think uh, it's one of those things where like it's like you don't necessarily need to move him, like you said, and uh, like and they have some guys you can you can trade. Like Tristan Thompson's contract is huge, but it expires next year. Like it's an expiring deal. Um, so why like if a team wants a, a backup big, even if to pay like if a team has room to take on his eighteen and a half million dollar salary, like like trade Tristan Thompson and uh, then you get an asset back that way. You don't have to trade your best player necessarily. Um, I mean, it's also like I keep coming back to the fans, but like it's just it's just tough to draw a crowd if you're if you're starting that that lineup you you list. You know, if they're if they're losing games by 15 every night, um, you you want something to get get guys excited about. And if you have the potential for this guy who's kind of a star and he can he can on any given night drop 30, 15, and five or something, um, that's worth it. And like you said, just just make the game easier on your your younger guys, give them clear and defined roles. Um, I get to an extent you want this flexibility and kind of see, explore the depths of young guys' games, but at the same time, you don't want to develop bad habits, and I think it's just make just make the game easier on these guys uh, that are on a team that kind of lacks a lot of playmaking to an extent, and, and even shooting and love provides both of those things, and um, yeah, I just I don't think they need to rush them out the door, and the other thing is like, so what that it's a big contract? Like, the Cavs aren't trying to win anytime soon, they're not not going to go out and try and sign Kevin Durant or Kawhi or whatever this summer. Like it, like, yeah, it kind of it mucks up the books a little bit, but like, they don't really need to w- w- focus on the books right now because like, it's just not like they're they're trying to sign a bunch. Of, they're trying to try draft a bunch of young guys and and build organically. So you like, you're just not going to go out and sign a Bradley Beal in two years, a CJ McCollum in two years, or things like that. So like, so what if you have this guy who's a good locker room fit and is overpaid? Like, the books are a little bit irrelevant at this at this point for Cleveland. All right, last thing. Uh, just give me your give me just a general non. It doesn't have to be Cavs. Can be anything. What's just like one thing you really want to see on draft night this Thursday? Uh, I'm. I just want to see a lot of trades. Like I, I want to see a lot of unexpected picks. I want to see you guys rise. I want to see you guys fall. Um, so I guess the general word would just be chaos. Like it just just a lot of trades. I would love to see some big names moved. Um, I think that's kind of the funnest part of it. As someone who's a a Blazers fan, we have a lower pick. Um, you know, it's, it's fun to get. It's kind of fun to see what who they take and they take him and all. There's some rumors they might trade it, but um, I just want to see kind of some chaos unfold among a lot of these teams who are in kind of weird, precarious positions, like the Wolves and the Hornets and the Wizards, the Heat to an extent. You know, just like let's get let's get risky, let's get adventurous, and uh, you know, not be afraid to to kind of take a risk or take a leap. Yeah, give me like Bull Bull in the top ten, and I'll be I'll be a happy guy. Just give <laughs> yes, me, yes. Give me like that'd be awesome. Give me the Wizards just taking like Bull Bull or something like that. <laughs> like I just want it. I want it all. Um, but you can find Jackson on Twitter. I'm gonna text that to Twitter. You can find him on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Uh, you can get find his writing at the Gonzaga Bulletin, at the Athletic, Philly, Liberty Ballers, the Step Back, uh, and you can. He wrote a really great feature that is his pin tweet on Derek White, who is that great Spurs guard that I'm sure. Like, how is this guy who doesn't look like he's that big? How is he so good? Read his story. <laughs> you'll learn a lot about him. It's a great. It's a great piece of work. Jackson, man, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to glad to talk about some some calves. Uh, don't do it very often, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, kind of see what they they do in the next few years. Like like a, like you said. Yeah, uh, as someone who has to do this all the time, like I, it's no one needs to do this all the time. Like it's cool. Like it, it's really, it, it, after a while, it's just like Jordan Clarkson took a lot of shots and Marquise Chris did things. Like we, we can we can we can just punt till next season. It's cool. But I'm Chris Manning. I'm on Twitter at CWM Rights. The pod is on Twitter at Locked On Cavs. 
We'll be back tomorrow. First of two shows with Trevor Magnani. Check out the show yesterday on Lindsey Gottlieb uh, with Ben Dole of Lockdown Women's Basketball. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.